All right, good morning, everybody. We can uh, open up to the Gospel of John together. We can open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. We are finishing John chapter 15 today. The title of this message is What to Expect from the World. What to Expect from the World. And as we are turning there, I just wanted to express to you, um, as I was just preparing and praying, I, I thought about that time when Jesus was in a house and he was healing everybody and it was so crowded, uh, people were crowding at the door and somebody told him, hey Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are here to see you. Um, you, know, you know, you should probably go out to them. And this was a, that was a culture that, you know, it was important to honor your family. And Jesus said this shocking thing. He, he looked around and he said, he said, those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers. And then he, he looked around and he said, this is my mother and my brothers. This is my family. And I just, that just resonates with my heart and I know with many of you guys, like this is the sweetest place on earth. This is the sweetest thing we'll do. Um, until we get to heaven is to be with our true blood-bought brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And um, I recognize I'm younger than many of you. You could just think of me as your little brother. Um, and that's, that's okay with me. That's a challenge that I, I accept. So, um, so together, let's just look at, at God's word, at the perfect and inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God. And let's not hear from me, but let's just hear from, from Christ, our older brother, and uh, let's hear what he has for us today. So John chapter 15, we will read verses 18 through 27. Jesus is saying to his disciples, um, just hours before he's arrested, he says this. <laughs> if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so Jesus, again, we just say thank you that we can gather around you and we can hear from you, God. And we thank you for the power that is in your word. 
Would you help us now, Holy Spirit, to to understand these things, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, give us hearts to receive your word. And would you do a, a supernatural work as we meditate upon your word together? I thank you that you are able to do that uh, by the power of your spirit. So it's in Jesus' name, amen. God is a jealous God. The first of the Ten Commandments, if you can remember the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is you shall have no other God before me. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when when he came as as the second member of the, the Trinity, as he was God in the flesh, when he came, he said the very same thing. He said, if you would follow me, you must die to yourself. He said, your devotion to me must make every other love in your life look like hatred in comparison. There's no other God before me. A genuine, saving, vital relationship with the God of the Bible, the only God that there is, it requires everything of us. And in our culture and even in our current Christian culture, we treat God like a bonus or like an add-on, like a once-in-a-while kind of a thing. Jesus referred to this as the thorny soil, the, the type of soil that would come to church and, and would receive the word with gladness and nod our heads and say, yes and amen, and, 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 and then suddenly we would go and then the, the cares and the worries and the concerns and the love of the world would be mingled with that seed and it would choke it out. And that kind of Christianity, it always ends choked. A genuine relationship with God is one of total, ultimate, utter surrender. It's not a perfect relationship with God, as we all know. We, we are still growing. We are still being sanctified. We are being conformed. But the direction is, is one direction. It is, it is a, a direction that is fully and wholly surrendered to God. And it's this exclusivity that is pretty much the most offensive aspect of Christianity to the world. In our culture, everything and anything goes except for exclusivity. Anything goes except for exclusiveness, except for the claim that no, this one thing goes for truth. And this exclusivity led to the, well, first and foremost, it led to the death of Jesus. He died for this exclusivity. And it, it then led to the, the death of, of that first generation of Christians, of faithful Christians, that early church. Every apostle, except for the author of this book, was martyred, was, was killed for Christ and the message of exclusivity. And that message has led to persecution of every subsequent generation of, of true Christianity. That, that message of exclusivity has not changed. 
and the world's response to it has not changed. And so people and maybe false teachers can, can kind of try to adjust that exclusive message. Okay, no, no, listen, you, you can have the world and you can have your desires and just, you know, add Jesus on. And, and the more we modify the message, the more acceptance that message will have in the world. But whenever a, a, a whenever you, you will not put it this way, you will not find a faithful Christian without hatred from the world following close behind. And if you, if you like Jesus said, or if, if everyone thinks well of you, he says, woe to you. You're not following Christ. To follow Christ, the exclusive way to the Father, you will find hostility to that life and that message. And if you remember, in this context, Jesus is, is hours away. This is his last time he's with his disciples until he is arrested and betrayed and crucified. And in John 13 to 17, he's giving his final words to his disciples. And he's actually providing comfort for them because he's telling them, I'm leaving. And so he's been comforting his disciples. And as we come to John 15, you can think of John 15 in these three categories. And it's amazing. It sums up the whole Christian life. It begins with the message, abide in me. And then last week, he went on to say, and if you abide in me, you will love one another. And then this week, his message is this. Now testify to the world. You see that? You see this God-centered. It starts with our, uh, our love for the Lord. And then if we're, if we're abiding in Christ, what, what, what happens next? Well, then we love one another. And then if we're abiding in Christ and we're loving one another, well, what are we supposed to do after church? What do we do all week long? Well, we are sent to testify to the world. John 15 gives us this wonderful picture of the Christian life, this wonderful metaphor for the Christian life. There's two types of branches, a fruitful branch and an unfruitful branch. And those who are fruitful have found their life in Christ. And those who have found their life in Christ will love one another and will testify to the world. However, when we go into the world with the message of Christ, Christ tells us in, in, in our text, this is what you ought to expect from the world. This is what you ought to expect as you go into the world. And there's, there's really three things he tells us to expect from the world. And so as we walk through each of these verses together, we're gonna see from Christ three, three things to expect from the world. Again, uh, let's just remember these are the words of Christ. These have all the authority of God behind them. And so let's hear what, what Jesus said in his final hours to his disciples, what to expect from the world. Well, the first thing we ought to expect from the world is this. The world will hate the church. The world will hate the church. Let's read verses 18 through 20 again. If the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Three times in these three verses, he says, the world will hate you. The world hates you. The world will hate you. Well, why, why is this? Jesus gives us two reasons just in these, in these few verses. Number one, the first reason the world hates the church is because we don't belong. We don't belong. We are now aliens in this world. This world is not our home. We have been chosen out of the world. As Colossians 1 says, when, when we are rescued by Christ, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. We now have a citizenship in another kingdom. And as we can see, issues of citizenship um, can, can get some emotions going, right? Citizenship, where do you belong? Who belongs? Who doesn't belong? It's an, an emotional issue. And Christians will be viewed by the world as illegal, unwelcome aliens. Why are you here? Jesus uses the word love here. He says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. That, that word love is phileo, which it's the same word for friendship. What he's saying is if you were friends with the world, if you, you know, how, how does friendship work? Well, typically friendship works because you have a common interest in something. You're off doing something you love to do and someone else is out there and you're like, oh yeah, we have this connection. We love to do this thing. He says, if you were to have a, a common connection, have common loves, have common interests, spend, um, have the same values and the, spend all your time and all your resources the same way the world does, well, of course it would love you. You're just like the world. But he says, those who I have chosen, I have called them out of the world. By grace, not because we earned it, but, but because God was gracious to us, he chose us out and, and now we no longer belong. As James 4, 4 says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. There's that exclusive language, that, that uncomfortable, unpopular you're a friend of the world or you're a friend of God. Don't we just wish we could be friends with everybody? Isn't that the desire of the human heart? I just wanna, you know, just be popular with everybody. I don't want anyone to not like me. Well, friendship with the world is enmity with God. One pastor put it like this, we are like a human body and and once we have been chosen out of the world, we become like to the, the body's immune system, like a foreign virus, a foreign object. And how does a body properly respond to something foreign? Well, it attacks it, it doesn't belong. And so the, the closer we walk with Christ, the, the, the more friendship and intimacy we have with Christ, the more we obey Christ and are like Christ and walk with Christ, we can expect to be hated by the world. There's one more um, verse that's a helpful way to draw this out in the Beatitudes. In Matthew 15, Jesus said, don't you know you are the light of the world? He says, how, how, do, how are lights, how do lights function? What's the purpose of a light? Well, the light, it, it exposes darkness. It goes into darkness. And then he says, you're like the salt of the earth. 
Well, what does salt do? Salt is no good if it's not rubbing up against whatever it's supposed to rub up against. And so as we, shy, as we are who we are in Christ, as we do our Christian life, as we refuse certain ideas or, or practices or certain loves, it is like light to the dark. It is like salt. And if, we, if, if we're walking with Christ, we would expect to be treated the same way he was treated. And, and that leads us to our second reason. Well, why does the world hate us? We don't belong, number one. Well, number two, it's because the world hated Jesus. We all have this idea of Jesus as just like, you know, yeah, Mr. Popular, Mr. Cool. Who wouldn't like Jesus, for heaven's sakes? He was the most loving, generous, kind, gentle, compassionate, perfect person there ever was. And he was murdered for it. Just take that in for a minute. The most perfect, gracious, gentle, loving person was murdered by the government and by religious, the religious elite and to the cheers of the community. That was how the world responded to Christ. That is how the world still responds to the most loving, gracious, generous, gentle people on the planet. That's the response. And Jesus said the same thing. Why, why do they hate me? I'll read for us two verses out of John chapter three. John three nineteen through 20. Jesus said this, and this is the judgment. The light, he's referring to himself, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. If the master who was perfect was hated, we should expect those who serve him to be hated as well. Now, here's an important point. Um, and we'll, we'll see this. I, I want us actually just to draw our eyes to verse 25. Jump ahead real quick. It says this, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. That's important because, because we can take this maybe uh, to a place that Jesus didn't intend. Like, hey, I can do whatever the heck I want and say anything however I want. And the world's supposed to hate me. So, you know, the more hate I just bring on to myself, you know, I'm like Jesus. Well, it says here, they hated without cause. What this means is we are to be hated not for, for, our, not for our sake, not for our own brashness or arrogance. We are to be hated because we're like Jesus. We are to be hated because we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. And if the world hated Christ, then they, we can expect that the world will hate us. Again, not for personal reasons, but because we're like him. And in fact, as the Bible says, it's an honor. It's an honor to be treated the way Jesus was treated. This has been a pattern throughout human history. If you remember, the first martyr in human history was a, a young man named Abel. And he was hated and murdered because he loved the Lord. 
and he was offering his worship up to God. And his brother was convicted. He knew, I don't, I don't love God the way my brother does. And so he hated his brother and he murdered him for it. We see that pattern throughout the Old Testament, through the, all the people of God, through Moses and the prophets. They were hated because they loved the Lord. And so Christ says, you will be hated. The church will be hated by the world. Now, I wanna briefly finish this point. Jesus gives us two applications here. What do we do with that? What am I supposed to do with this message that the world will hate me? Well, the first thing he says, let me, let me get our eyes back to our text in verse 18. The first thing we are to do is to know. Jesus says, if the world hates you, no, that's an imperative. That's a practical application. What am I supposed to do when the world hates me? Well, we are to use our brains to know with our minds, this is how it's supposed to be. We live in a therapeutic age, a therapeutic culture. And, and what that culture tells us is what your emotions tell you is what's true. How you feel is what is true about God and about life and even about your identity. You are to be governed by your emotions. What Jesus says is, no, you are to be governed by your mind. To know. For Christians, we rely on truth. We, we use our brains. It's difficult to not be liked all the time. It's difficult to not be accepted all the time. And our first application from Christ is to use our minds, to have our minds, our minds renewed, to know this is how Jesus said it will be. And the second application is very similar, and it's found in verse 20. He says, remember the word I said to you. Remember. The first thing we are to know is to know this is how it's supposed to be. I shouldn't be surprised by this. Second, I am to remember, and remember what? Remember the word I said to you. We are to know truth in general, but we are to know and remember the word of God. It is our lifeline in this world that hates us. Every day we are to remember, we are to bring to mind the promises of God. As Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who is just chewing on and meditating on the word of God all day long. We are to get God's this is God's grace to us that we would know and remember his word. This is where we find strength as we are hated for Christ. We are to set our expectations according to scripture, right? Isn't that one of the hardest things in life, just a false, unmet expectation? Christ here is teaching us how to calibrate our expectations for life. We're not to set them too high, you're gonna be rejected. But also, I love this in verse 20, he says, don't set them too low. Look, look at, and this is the last thing we'll see from this point. He says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And what he is saying is, hey, most people rejected me. They didn't keep my word, but look around. There's a few of you, you have kept my word. And what he's saying is my word won't return void. There will be a church. There will be a community of people who love Christ and his word in spite of the world and in spite of the rejection of the world. There will be people who say, yes, Jesus is worth it. 
I love him. I receive his word. I believe what he has said. And so we are to set our, 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 calibrate our expectations, not too high, not too low. And we are to know and remember these things that though the world will hate the church, they hated Jesus. And if we're like him, they will hate us too. Now, the second point actually takes that dagger and it just drives it in a little further. Um, again, these are Jesus's words, not mine. The second, the second thing Jesus wants us to expect from the world is this. The world hates God. The world hates God. Let's read verses 21 through 25. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Here it is. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and, both, and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. In these five verses, Jesus develops the thoughts and just takes it deeper and deeper, deeper, deeper. The first in verse 21, he says, listen, they hate you because they hate me and they hate me because they don't even know the Father. Verse 21, they don't know him who sent me. This is, this is underneath why the world rejects us, why the world rejects Christ is because they don't have any saving knowledge of God. They're in the, the kingdom of darkness. Their eyes are blinded to the truth. This, sh this should actually evoke some compassion from us. Man, they don't even know God. What else should we expect from, from someone who doesn't even know God? It would certainly make sense if the world is all they know, that they would react the way they react to Christ and to his church. Yet that's just the first layer. Why don't they know God? It's actually a willful ignorance, as verse 22 drives it home. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been, be, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's one thing to claim ignorance. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. It's another thing for God to take on human flesh and to show up and to speak the truth and then to be rejected. And that is the case in Christ's generation. And what he's saying here is not that, that people, if they don't hear Jesus, that in their ignorance, they're innocent. What he's saying in particular, you may have a footnote over the word guilty of sin. It means they would not have sin. What he means is they're not, what he's saying is this, they are, they are doubly guilty because they have rejected the saving knowledge of Christ, that Christ came to give them knowledge and they rejected it. What, what this means for us right now is anyone who has heard about Christ is particularly guilty. It would be better to not have even heard the gospel, but if someone hears the gospel and rejects it, and that's, that is a much more severe judgment. 
And then he drives it home in verse 23 and just says, therefore, whoever hates me hates my father also. And again, Jesus is using really strong language. He said the word hate seven times in, in this text. Some of you may have a rule. You can't use that word in your household. And that's understandable. It's a, it's a strong word. And Jesus uses it seven times to describe the world. And again, what Jesus is saying here is this, and this is so important for our culture. There is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. No one can say, you know what? I don't love God, but I don't hate God. He says, if you do not love God, you hate him. If you do not love Christ, you hate him. If you do not love his church, you hate him. These are strong, pointed words as he's getting our expectations right for the world. In verse 24, he adds another layer of condemnation. He says, not only did I come and speak. In verse 24, he says, I did, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and both hated me and my father. He says, not only did I show up and speak, they saw with their own eyes people rise from the dead. They saw with their own eyes, eyes that didn't use to see. And now they see, and they've rejected me. Jesus here is exposing the depths of the human condition. You can see a miracle with your eyes. You could see God in the flesh and still hate God. And if that would evoke, as it naturally would, some kind of disgust or discouragement from the disciples like gosh if if this is how the world responds to Jesus like what what's going on here Jesus in verse 25 shows us this was actually according to plan this was actually fulfilling prophecy this was actually the way God knew it it would always go in verse 25 but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled they hated me without a cause. And Jesus is using kind of biting irony. It's their law. Their own law condemns them. Their own law said that I would come. Their own law, the Old Testament, prophesied of my coming. And they've seen me with their eyes and they've seen my miracles and they've heard my teaching. And yet the world still hates God. And he's fleshing out that pattern there that the world responds with hatred and rejection to those who are like God. There's one small comfort as we finish this point is this. As bad as, as things are in the world, as, as, as heavy as, as it is, as strong as the hatred is from the world, we ought not be surprised and we ought not despair because think about this. It was the hatred of the world that brought about the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of sin that was offered for the world. How does God respond to a world that hates him to the point of death? He uses their own hatred of him to accomplish the greatest act of love in human history. It was through the wicked desires of humanity that hated God 
that brought about the death of Christ. And the death of Christ was God's greatest expression of love for rebellious people like you and like me and like all the people in our communities. Yes, the world hates Christ. Yes, the world hates his church. But even that hatred works according to the purposes and plans of our God. And that leads us to the third truth that Christ says that we should expect, the third truth about the world. And it's a pretty dramatic shift. It's a pretty dramatic shift. It starts with the word but. Because Jesus is about to really change the tone and the tenor and the, the, the shocking reality of what he's saying. And the third truth is this, the world needs the church. The world needs the church. Yeah, the world hates us and the world hates Jesus and the world hates God. But look at verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says the world's gonna hate you just like they hated me and just like they hate God. But I want you to go tell them about me. And I want you to go with the power of my spirit in you. And that same spirit and that same message you will have is able to rescue people in the world. Verse 26, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. The helper. Man, don't we need help in this? Don't we need help? The spirit of truth. Not the spirit of compromise or a friendship with the world, of truth. And, and the first thing that the spirit, the first ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is not to the world, it's actually to us. He's the helper. He, Jesus says, I will send him to you because we need the spirit of God. We cannot do this on our own. The spirit of God is sent by Christ and the Father to us so that in verse 27, we can bear witness to the world about Christ that though they hate the world, we can say, we can bear witness, we can testify, guess what? So did I. I hated God. I hated his truth. I wanted to go my own way. I wanted to think my own thoughts. And yet I heard the voice of Jesus call me out of darkness into light. And I have found in Christ life and forgiveness and love. And it is a far better life to be, though hated by the world, but loved by Christ. We get to testify to that. We get to testify by the power of the Holy Spirit that the world is not worth living in. The world is, is, it is lost and there is salvation in Christ. And he says, first, 
you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. First, in this context, he's speaking to these 11 men who are ordinary men who didn't have any kind of formal training or education. They were all in other secular jobs when Christ called them. They weren't the religious elite. He's saying, you are gonna bear witness. And as we see, we see how much they needed the spirit because how'd Peter do on this very night when he was confronted by the world? He denied Christ and a little girl was enough to stand up to Peter, an apostle. Yet we see not long after that, the spirit of God fell at Pentecost and that same man stands up and calls out the world and says, you hate God and you killed him. But if you repent of your sin, you will find life in Christ. What can do that to a man? while being filled with the power of the Spirit, testifying to who Jesus is. And secondly, we ought to remember this book was written by a real apostle to a real group of people. And as, as far as we know, this is the, as we can tell, this was the last gospel to be written and the church had already been experiencing severe persecution. Again, the author of this book ended his life in exile. And what he's saying is to his readers, you will bear witness. You too can testify. You too, yes, you are being hated right now, but that's how they treated Christ. So bear witness by the power of the Spirit. And do you know what? They were faithful because we are here. Here we are. The, the church, this message has survived 2,000 years of hatred from the world. It has survived like systematic attempts at eradicating the gospel. And yet here we are called out from the world, willing to stand up and testify, yes, Christ is worth it. That's what Christ is, expects of us, that we would testify to the world there is hope in Jesus. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to the world lately, but they need good news right now. The world needs good news right now. The world needs to know about Christ. The world needs to know about the gospel. I was thinking there's so many examples and I just wanted to, to briefly mention one way we can see probably the clearest way in our culture right now that we have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, probably the greatest opportunity in our current culture where the world is utterly lost. And it's the way though our world is thinking about race and racial reconciliation and justice. Now, it's worth saying there is real injustice in this world. We should expect that. It's worth saying there's real racism. It's worth saying that. It's worth saying that sin affects everything it touches. But our world is dealing with real sin without Christ. And do you know what that means? That's a false diagnosis and it's a false gospel. And do you know what a false gospel does? It makes people miserable. It offers no hope. It offers no salvation. I ran into someone this week who was utterly broken and condemned because of what the world has told him he is and there is no hope for salvation for him. He can't change his skin. He can't make things right. That's a false gospel. It's not the gospel. And it's a false hope this world will never be fixed without Christ. 
This world will never have hope. It will never have reconciliation apart from Christ. And we have an opportunity to speak to the world that is longing for justice. And first we get to give them a real diagnosis. Do you know, what actu- do you know what's actually underneath this world system? Do you know what's underneath racism? It's not primarily a human's hatred for another human. It's a human's hatred for God. That's the diagnosis. The, the theories being proposed right now that are even bleeding into the church, it's just dealing with symptoms. The problem is people hate God. And you know what the solution is? It's not give a lot of people a lot of money and overthrow systems and then people are better. It's never gonna make you right with God. The solution to hating God is Christ who experienced that hatred to the point of death, that whoever would repent of their hatred of God can be made new, can have a new heart, can be filled with the spirit of God. And do you know what someone who has been reconciled with God does? Do you know what someone who has been forgiven an infinite debt can do? They can forgive other people. They can forgive other people for wicked stuff. Not because, oh, do you know what? If you just do enough, I'll forgive you. No, I have been forgiven an infinite debt by God. How am I gonna strangle my brother for something they've done against me? How am I gonna strangle my brother for something their ancestors did against my ancestors? If we go down that route, it's not just a white-black problem. It's a long problem with a lot of history, and we will never be right with one another. The solution to this world is being right with God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we make that right, it will affect every relationship we have. This world is longing for reconciliation. It's longing for justice. But without the gospel, it's a false gospel. And it will make people miserable. And so we have something to offer this world. We have good, we, we have actual hope to this fallen world. There is a way to be made right with your brother. It's Jesus Christ. That's not cheap. It's not treating the surface. It's going all the way to the root. And we can testify to the world that we have been called out of this world and made right with God. And by the power of the Spirit of God, we will see people take heed of these words of Christ. He will build his church. There are people in our lives right now longing for good news, that there's a way to be made right with God and one another. And so I wanna close by asking you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have friendship with the world? Would you rather have temporary uh, ease and comfort and acceptance? Or would you rather have Christ? Would you rather have the, the, the friendship of Christ? And we may struggle with that answer, that question with our flesh. We all struggle with that in our flesh. Our, our flesh is always being called back to the world, always being wooed back to the world. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God who called us out by the gospel is able to keep us 
And so I want to invite every one of us today to come to Christ, to come to Christ, to repent of any um, idolatry, any, any love, any friendship with something that, that we ought not to be friends with and to believe and look to Jesus Christ. He's calling all of us right now to come to him. And so Jesus, we thank you for the gospel and we thank you for the good news. We thank you for the news that though it does require everything of us, it requires us to carry a cross, to turn from our sin, it's life itself. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are able to call people out of darkness. You are able to take a dead, stony heart and make it alive and, and fleshy and love Christ and love his commandments. God, I ask for those of us who have, have areas of our life where we're flirting with, with the world, where we're making friends with the world, where we're making provision for our flesh, would your spirit identify those things and would we repent of those things and would we come back to Jesus the one who can forgive us and satisfies us, who transforms us. And I pray for those, Lord, who have yet to heed the call to come, that they would come to Christ, that they would hear you calling them, Jesus, out of the world, that they would turn from their values and desires and loves, and they would cling to Christ. Their sufficient sacrifice and obedience and savior and the one who will satisfy them and walk with them all the days of their life. God, we thank you that there's good news in this world. We thank you that your church has been called out. That's what the word church means. We have been called out of the world and we are the pillar and the, the support of the truth. We have the spirit of truth in us and we have been called to proclaim the truth. And Lord, I just ask that you would make each one of us effective, that you would continue to um, make us obedient to testify to Christ. I pray that you would bring specific people to mind and opportunities to mind that we can testify of Christ. 